Hey, folks, you're listening to The Ben Shapiro Show. So I had the opportunity to speak with Matt Frad. Matt, of course, is the host of a podcast called Pints with Aquinas. He had a big debate with Dennis Prager over pornography, how sinful it is, how evil it is, and all the rest. So he and I decided to have a chat about it. It's really fascinating stuff. Give it a listen. Joining me online is Matt Frad. He's creator and host of Pints with Aquinas. It's a great podcast. He's the author of several books, including The Porn Myth, a non-religious response to pro-porn arguments. Matt, thanks so much for joining the show. Great to talk to you. Thanks for inviting me, Ben. So obviously you've had this very well-watched debate with Dennis Prager over pornography, and then I sort of evaluated it, and then you evaluated my evaluation of the debate. I wanted to have you on to sort of discuss, you know, what sort of the Jewish and, and Catholic takes and sort of what the general moral take should be on pornography, because I have a feeling that you and I actually don't disagree, I think, pretty much on anything. I think that the, the question here is one of terminology. It seems like one of the, the sort of terminological debate is over the word lust uh, and, and what the definition of the word lust is, is what it comes down to. So- yeah, you know, I, I think that to, to recap what the debate was, why, why don't you start with that? What was the actual debate between you and Dennis for those who didn't actually watch it? Dennis made the claim that if a husband watches pornography uh, to avoid adultery, that it's not awful. And I'm of the opinion that pornography is an intrinsically evil thing to consume and that it's always wrong. And so we had a lovely back and forth on my show and yeah, you're right. There was a, there was a lot of terminology that we were getting hung up on, um, so that's that. I think yeah. if somebody wants to so, say I mean, that pornography, so, yeah, you go. Yeah, so I mean, I, all I was going to say is I agree with you. I mean, pornography is an evil. The, the, the making of pornography is evil. The consumption of pornography is evil. Pornography, I mean, I literally wrote a book in 2005 when I believe I was 21 years old called Porn Generation about the evils of pornography in which I detailed its mainstreaming into nearly every area of society. And I was called a prude at the time. And uh, it turns out that if you go back and read the book now, it reads rather well in terms of being prophetic about how everything was going to be pornified across American society. Yeah, I think that, that it seemed to me that, that a lot of the debate was breaking down over uh, uh, some, some failures to, to clearly define terms. I'm not going to blame you or, or blame Dennis, but I want to get your definition of the terms. So I think sure. that we have to sort of separate the debate into two areas. One is action in the, in the boudoir. And, and the other is thought, right? This is something that Dennis has talked about a lot, is that in Judaism, there's a lot more focus on action than there is on thought. I think he was misdefining action. Viewing pornography is not just a thought. That's an actual action. Um, participating in the making of pornography is actually an action, not just a thought. But Dennis's general principle, which is that Judaism cares far less about what's in your head than, than you know, sort of how you act. Generally, that's true, although there are certainly commandments that go to things like love, all, love your Lord with all of your heart and all of your, all mm-hmm. of your means, right? The, or, or, or the idea that you are not supposed to engage in, in envy of one's neighbor or the, the, your, their, their property or their wife or all the rest. I mean, there are certainly commandments that go to sort of mental state, to, to the mens rea, but you know, Judaism definitely puts a lot of focus on action. But let, so in the realm of action, I would assume that there's pretty much no argument. We are both in favor of monogamous heterosexual marriage. All sexual activity outside of monogamous heterosexual marriage is sinful and wrong, according to both of us. And so <laughs> I, do, you, do you think there's any distinction there? No, I'm I'm pleased to hear you say that. It sounds like your view is closer to mine than Dennis's may have been. Um, I, I, I I'm glad that we're putting emphasis on action. Um, I agree that there is a distinction, let's say, between uh, adultery in the heart, as our blessed Lord put it, and adultery with the body. But that, and I'm sure you would agree, doesn't make adultery in the heart unimportant. When a man on his wedding day says he'll be faithful to his wife. Surely he means more than what he won't do with his genitals. He means he wants to be faithful with his entire self. 
which includes his imagination and his eyes and his ears and his speech. I think this is what we should be striving for. And I think this is what our blessed Lord calls us to in seeking to elevate our desires to be in conformity with the good act. So it's not enough uh, in Christianity, and you can tell me about Judaism, it's not enough in Christianity that I do the good. Uh, full, uh, what would you say, moral maturity would be to desire the good as well. So to- totally agree with that. In fact, the the idea in Judaism is that that's what the commandments are there to do. It's to cultivate in you a desire to do mm. the things. You're actually, you're, you're called upon to do the things so that eventually you will actually want to do the things and you'll understand the purpose of the things. And so it really isn't even about understanding the things. You do them before you understand them, which is why it says in the Bible, nas avinishma, that you're supposed to do and then you're supposed to understand. Uh, the, the idea is that, you know, it, it's really not about you liking to do the things at the beginning, but these are the things that you are called upon to do. And, and you're absolutely right, of course, that what we are called upon when it comes to monogamous marriage and when it comes to being faithful to one's spouse is not to engage in pornography, not to lust after other women and, and all, all the rest of this sort of thing. And, and God understands that, you know, we all fall short of the grace of God and that there, there, you know, that people look at things and commit sins. But none of that is to say that those those sins are right. So let's get to the part of the debate that I think was, was sort of more interesting. Because in action, I think you and I have 100% overlap. When it comes to the the actual definition of sort of lust in the heart, I think that there, there mm-hmm. seemed to be um, a failure of clarity of definition on this. So I think that Dennis, from my impression, was speaking about lust as, I think about my wife in the bedroom and I want to have sex with her. And I'm not thinking about the idea that she's a higher spiritual being at the time. I'm treating her as a person with their own sense of autonomy, as a person who is a higher spiritual being in the sense that I'm not engaging in any sort of immoral forcing. But at the same time, I'm, I'm you know, I, I see her, she's beautiful, I want to have sex with her. And so that is lust. I think you were treating lust as an absence of those provisos, meaning that you were seeing a, a woman fully as just a sex object. And so her lack of consent would mean very little, or you would attempt a grading act upon her, even if she would consent to them, because you mm-hmm. lust. Like, where is the dis- distinction? When, when you define lust, how do you define lust? Let's start with that. Sure. I would say that lust is a disordered a desire for sexual pleasure. And by disordered, I mean sought in isolation from the procreative and unitive uh, ends of the sexual act. So I think the result of lust is that we reduce a person to their sexual value. And certainly people have sexual value and sexual desire is a good thing. Um, But that when we treat someone like an object, and we can get into what we mean by that, uh, we kind of take a utilitarian principle to them. We we say, um, is this useful to me? And then what is sought to safeguard is pleasure at all costs. Whereas if I view my wife or anyone as a person, then it's a personalistic principle, namely, how do I honor the person? And then what is safeguarded at all costs isn't the pleasure, uh, but safeguarding their honor. One leads to egoism and one leads to altruism. Okay, so let's let's dig down on what you termed as objectification. So I think Dennis's point is that when you're in the bedroom, it's very difficult for men not to think of a woman as a sex object in the sense that she is a sexual being and you would like to have sex with her. This does not mean that <laughs> she's a sex yes. doll. It doesn't mean that she's in she's she's a pornographic image on a screen. But you sort of you sort of laughed and chuckled when I suggested that in in my response to your and Dennis's debate that the you know the alternative of you know thinking about Aquinas, Maimonides, and and the spirituality of life. Uh, these are ten. These tend not to be things that people bring into the bedrooms, at least in, in any real way, or or they're lying. You, you laughed, and of course, no no one does do that. Now, 
to be clear, there are actually religious authorities who have called on people to do that sort of thing. I mean, it's actually not foreign to religious ideology to suggest that you're supposed to treat sex almost as as something that is is a part of life that you have to do, but you're supposed to try to spiritualize that. I think that that is yeah. uh, a real actual betrayal of, of what sex can be with your spouse. But I, I want to know what you mean by objectification, because I think, again, there was a bit of lack of clarity. Right. Um, again, not not uh, just on on what what exactly you mean by objectification. Like, yeah, presumably me, your wife is a to... person that you would like to have sex with, and that doesn't mean that you're treating Indeed. her again like she is right. just, you know, a masturbatory object. But clearly Thank the physical yes. has a part here. That's exactly right. Let me see if I can respond to your first point. Um, when one asks, does sex always have to be this sacred experience? I would say that objectively it is a sacred experience, but that doesn't mean we're called upon to have a subjective experience that aligns with the gravity of what we're engaged in. Uh, I have a more of a sense of the sacred if I pray in a beautiful church than if I pray while I'm walking down the road. And both are okay, uh, but I might experience a, a greater degree of a feeling of piety or sacredness in a church. And yes, I mean, when I engage or when a man engages in sexual relations with his wife, he may feel that this is a very sacred event. Or it might just be, hey, I'm tired. Let's let's kind of get this done. Or you're ovulating. We're, we're trying for a child, you know, and that's beautiful. Um, but I think this is the point I made in my response to you. If one woman in marriage has ever been right when she said, I felt like I was a sex object, I mean, maybe she's wrong, maybe she misinterpreted it, but if one woman, woman has ever been right in saying that, then it follows that lust is possible within marriage. And what I would say is lust within marriage still objectifies in that negative sense. Um, and I think you agree with me because I'm glad you said this, you said that pornography is a sin and it leads us to objectify people in a negative sense. So maybe we're just trying to find out what we mean by that uh, negative sense. But imagine a man who's been looking at pornography every day since he was 15 and at the age of 22 gets married, hasn't yet had sex. There's nothing magical about marriage that would eradicate that uh, evil way of thinking. I think a lot of men, I've known men who have gotten into marriage and have taken all of that lust they've learned from pornography and foisted it onto their wife and the marriage is over before it begins. So certainly my wife is an object, um, but she's an object who is a subject. And so I should never subordinate her good to the good of pleasure. Certainly pleasure is a good, but the person is superior to pleasure. And at that point, you know, you might say, well, I don't know when that actually occurs. How, how, maybe that's the difficulty, right? Where do you draw the line between legitimate sexual pleasure and desire and remembering and lust and like I said in my response video, just because that might be a difficult thing to do, it doesn't follow that lust is impossible within marriage. For the same reason that I may not be able to say when I began to commit the sin of envy or greed or sloth, it doesn't mean that I should seek, not seek to avoid those things. You know, it, it's hard to sort of relax these days. It's hard to calm down. One way that I relax and that I calm down is I get in touch with God, right? It's something that I have to do multiple times a day. According to Jewish law, I pray three times a day. But if you don't have prayers a regular part of your day or missing out, Hallow can help make it happen for you. Hallow is an incredible app that offers a unique approach to prayer and meditation. Unlike other meditation apps, Hallow is tailored specifically for people of faith to deepen their relationship with God. The Hallow app is filled with studies, meditations, and reflections that are rooted in Judeo-Christian prayer practices. A lot of Christians in the office here, and they use Hallow every day. You can pray alongside Mark Wahlberg, Jonathan Rumi, who portrays Jesus in The Chosen, even some world-class athletes. You can access the number one Christian podcast, The Bible in a Year, with Father Mike Schmitz on Hallow. 
Hello helps you maintain a daily prayer routine with features like progress tracking and streaks. You can stay motivated and make prayer a regular part of your daily routine. Set prayer reminders, invite others to pray with you and track your progress along the way. If you are looking to deepen your relationship with God and improve your mental and emotional well-being, Hello can help you out. Try it for three months free at hallow.com slash Shapiro. That's hallow.com slash Shapiro. Again, hallow.com slash Shapiro. So um, I, I think that yeah, the, the word objectified has a lot of, you know, sort of, it carries a lot of baggage now because it's been used so often by the feminist movement in, in sort of absurd ways. Uh, the, the notion being that marriage itself is an, objectifi- an objectifying mm-hmm. ritual because it treats woman as, a, as sort of a, a thing that you own, whatever it is. So it made, a, made an easier way or more colloquial way of putting objectification in this context be if your woman says not, if your wife says not, I feel that I was used as, I feel like I was objectified, but I feel like I was used. Mm-hmm. I think that that would be a fair proxy for a situation in which lust has taken control. If your wife says, I feel like I was used by you, then I think that that would be a fair proxy for the thing. And what that requires, obviously, is very clear communication with your spouse about what exactly she is is willing to do, what you are willing to do, and and, and all the rest of this. And you know, the, then you get into some sort of interesting and abstruse conversations about whether consent is the only value when it comes to this. Right. So so if if this is this sort of goes to Dennis's point. Right. So Dennis was making the point that within his parents marriage, his his father got Playboy, his mother knew about it and she didn't care about it. So was it a problem? And I think both you and I would agree that degrading sex to the purely visual and taking it outside the confines of marriage is a wrong. Now, Dennis, because he was saying it's happening within the confines of, of a consensual relationship, it's less of a wrong than other wrongs. And I agree there are gradations of wrong, obviously. You know, that that situation, which I agree is wrong is, I think, less wrong than a situation in which the husband, without the knowledge of his wife and without the consent of his wife, is doing that sort of thing. Both can be wrong. One can be more wrong than the other thing. Um, but you know, the, the, the question is whether there's any sort of objective moral standard as to where you draw that line, where your wife doesn't feel used, but lust is operative, for example. Yeah, and I would say that like a, a woman or a man feeling used in the sexual act is often a phenomenological response to an objective reality, namely being reduced to one's sexual value. But I would also say that it's not necessary to experience being used uh, for lust to have occurred. It's possible, of course, that two people can seek to objectify each other. Neither feels used, but they're wrong not to feel used. And at this point, I mean, I think it is important, and I agree with you, that there is a spectrum. Some things are worse than other things. But what I want to do is maybe turn 180 degrees in the other direction, you know, rather than asking, well, is this worse than this? Because I think that sometimes we look to things that are very perverse to justify what is, relatively speaking, a smaller perversity to justify our own weakness. But maybe the question ought to be, how do I love my wife in the way that she deserves? Or what kind of man could I become if I stopped justifying my cowardice and lust? So I I suppose what I would say is our blessed Lord in the scriptures is calling us to be more righteous than the Pharisees who he calls whitewashed tombs. Um, And so I want to turn 180 degrees in the other direction away from, well, what's worse than what towards how do I best love my wife? What kind of man could I be if I stopped justifying my cowardice and weakness? I think anyone who's lived longer than five minutes realizes that when we spend time with people who are worse than us, we tend to see their vices and our virtues. But when we spend time with people better than us, we tend to see their virtues and our vices. And I think that's more conducive to growing in the in the interior life. So 
this gets back to what I shared with Dennis about the fallacy of the beard. You know, I might not know when a thing becomes that thing, but it doesn't mean I can't say what that thing is. And so I don't know when sometimes when I've committed the sin of greed or anger or sloth, but I do know those things are possible. And I think as one grows in uh, moral maturity, one seeks not only to have one's actions rightly ordered, but one seeks <clears throat> for his desires to line up with objective reality. So one of the things that's really funny about this conversation is that you and I agree on pretty much all of these things. And I think that where, where the objection for me comes is yeah. actually not to anything you just said, except for the reference to the Pharisees, because as a Pharisaical Jew, you know, the, the, the misperception of what Phariseeism is, technically speaking from the Jewish perspective, is the attempt to reify in law all the values you're talking about. So instead of saying you're not allowed to lust in the bedroom, Judaism would say, here is a list of certain things that you are not allowed to do in the bedroom as like a prerequisite in an attempt to reify right. what that means. So instead of being left up to you in sort of a subjective level, here's, a, here's like a concrete list of things that you're not allowed to do in the bedroom. And that actually sometimes can make for an easier guidepost than do you feel lust in your heart? What does lust subjectively mean? But I think that, you know, it was, it was interesting. There, there are a bunch of sort of orthodox responses to your conversation with Dennis. And virtually all of them came down on the side of, they disagreed with Dennis's generalized perspective. And I think that you're right to point out that the, the I think the conversation between you and Dennis felt very often as though you were having two different conversations. What you were talking about is the aspiration that we all should have to move beyond sin and to have the best version of marriage with our wives in a sexually <laughs> virtuous context. And I totally agree with all of that. And what Dennis was, was trying to discuss were the gradations of sin that, that you're talking about. And your point is that maybe when you discuss gradations of sin, what you're actually doing is tacitly okaying certain mm. versions of sin because you're focusing in on, well, this isn't quite as bad as that thing. So if you really do it, is it really that bad? And you're saying, well, yeah, it really, it really is that bad. And so you're having you know, almost two separate conversations. But I think that it's a very mm -hmm. worthwhile conversation. And obviously when it comes to you know, the, the sort of way that men should behave, I think we can start from the basics and we can build to the aspirational. The basics are no pornography, you know, stop looking at other women, you know, treat your treat your spouse as a as a beloved object of God and as your wife and, and partner in creation and creation of a family. Mm -hmm. Like these are the very basic things. And then above that, how you build, um, you know, that that's gonna be more, you know, shaded question because obviously what happens in the bedroom is very private. It's between you and your wife. But by the same token, God does have a say in in human behavior at all aspects. Yeah. And so I, I don't want to speak for Dennis, but it did sound like he was coming with that more pharisaical approach where he seemed to be saying there are certain things you can't do, but there are some things that, well, it's it, it might be okay to do them. And maybe you're right. Maybe he was just trying to say that they're less bad than, than, than other things. But it did seem to me that we had a real disagreement there. I think if a man seeks to justify the use of pornography in any context, he's doing a shameful and uh, yeah, a shameful weak kind I, of thing, I, I, clean I agree path not, kind I, of thing. I, again, yeah. there, I, I'm not Sure there's been, I'm not sure there's been a louder advocate of virginity until marriage and non-use of pornography <laughs> than man. me personally. Yeah. I mean, literally, literally for the, at the beginning of my career, I was nicknamed on the internet, the Virgin Ben for like the literal, for, until I got married at 24. I was a virgin until marriage. I was very open about being a virgin until marriage. My wife was a virgin until marriage. We are big promoters. And, and in the Orthodox yeah. community, you literally date for marriage and do not have sex until you get married. I mean, it's pretty big over here, so. And I think what we want to do, though, as we seek to condemn pornography is always beginning by affirming the goodness of nudity, of sexual desire, of sex. You know, the, the reason porn is so evil is precisely because sex is so good. If it wasn't good, you couldn't pervert it. Uh, the body is good. If it wasn't, you couldn't degrade it. We don't talk about degrading 
paper clips and washing machines. We do talk about degrading the human body because we believe it has intrinsic dignity. So I'm, I'm glad we agree. Did, did I change your mind on lust though? Because in your last, uh, in your review of my video, you seem to say that lust may be impossible within marriage, but then you also said that porn can train someone to objectify someone in an, in a negative sense, which is really part of what I mean by lust. So I'd, I'd like, I'd like you to so I think I, I maybe think that, agree that, with me that lust is well, possible and, within marriage. I mean, sure. I think that by, by the definition that you and I have agreed on in this particular interview, absolutely lust is possible within marriage. I think that we, one of the purposes of this conversation was sort of clarify my perception of what you were saying about lust. And so now that I understand yeah. what you were saying about lust, sure. And so I think that, you know, again, the, the clarity on definition is really a big one here. And so it turns out, because I, when I was watching your video, I'll be honest with you, I was like, I'm not sure where we're, where we're actually disagreeing. I felt like there wasn't a lot of disagreement between you and me. Um, and there was some disagreement between both of us and Dennis. But, you know, that that is... Uh, yeah, again, part of that may have been an, an angle issue here also. And I'll be I'll be curious to see. Listen, I'll, we'll send this interview to Dennis and we'll get his take on it. I'll be curious to see what he has to say. Sure. Well, thanks, Ben. Well, folks, I look forward to having a longer conversation with Matt Frad in the future. I think it's kind of fascinating stuff. You're listening to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. <laughs> 